0: This morning, we're going to continue looking at what we've been looking at throughout the course of this month. We've been talking about the incarnation of Christ, the fact that Christ came to this earth and took on flesh, and what a wonderful thing it's been to just contemplate and think about some of the implications of what Jesus accomplished on our behalf. And this morning, we're going to be looking at John chapter 3. So if you would Take your Bibles and turn there with me, John chapter 3, starting with verse 16, and I'm going to read down to verse 21, and uh, this is what it says in that portion of Scripture. John 3, 16, down to verse 21. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege that it is to be able to look at the Scripture that we're looking at together today and to think about the things that you've revealed to us in it. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to be men and women who understand your word and who walk with you faithfully in all regard. And Lord, we're thankful for the fact that that as we look at a portion of scripture like this, we're reminded of the fact that you sent your son into this world to save, not condemn. And Lord, we recognize that there are many people in this world that don't understand that, but we're grateful that by your grace, you've given us the opportunity to understand that. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd reinforce that truth into our hearts and our minds today as we look at this passage of Scripture together. We love you, Lord. We're grateful for it. We're grateful for the truth that your Word contains. We commit ourselves to you now, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So the other day I was having a, a, a conversation with my daughter, and uh, our, our, the topic we were talking about was basically this idea of living out our faith in public, while trying to stay relatable and relational in the process. And sometimes I, I think that that could be maybe a, a little tricky for some of us as believers. She completely agreed that it was something that was of value and something of importance, and then we discussed the challenge that it can be to actually do that. And in the midst of the discussion, she described a friend of hers who she thinks is really wrestling with that balance, really struggling with that balance. And as she described in him to me, she said that, she said, it's very clear that he takes his faith seriously, but at the same time, he has a bad habit of making people feel awkward and condemned. This is how she was describing the expression of her friend's faith. And so basically, instead of engaging in friendly conversations, she said he over-spiritualizes things and then doesn't hesitate to make others um, sure to know that his beliefs are superior to theirs. That's how he conveys the essence of his faith, and so that was good discussion for us. And we we kind of wrestled with that. And even though it's his or it's not his intention, uh, what ends up seeming to be the result of the way in which he's he's kind of carrying himself is that it seems like he's chasing. This was her assessment. It seems like she, he's chasing people away from experiencing genuine faith in Christ more so than he's inviting them to experience the benefits. Of following him, and uh, again we talked about that a little bit further. But have you ever mentioned a well, or ever experienced a a well-intentioned believer who seemed to engage in some of the practices that this young man seems to engage in with regularity? And do you think that's a struggle that believers in general wrestle with to some degree? Is this something that you know we kind of wrestle with in general? I think when the unbelieving world interacts with Christians who take their faith seriously. It's not uncommon for them to, to, to fear experiencing some sense of condemnation. And right or wrong, I think that's what people have come to expect. I think they expect that, when they, if, that if you take your faith seriously and you take the opportunity to discuss that with them, they expect somewhere in the conversation there's going to be some level of condemnation. And yet Jesus, when you look at what Scripture tells us here, He made a point to express a very different perspective when He described the reason for which He came into this world, when He described the purpose for His incarnation. Now, in John 3.16, Jesus made it very clear that anyone who genuinely believes in Him will receive the gift of eternal life. Jesus said it this way. He said, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. And that statement is one of the most quoted statements or sentiments in the entire Bible. And in that sentence, Jesus explained that that God genuinely loves the people of the world, loves us so much that He sent His Son into the world to atone for our sin so that through faith in Him we could live forever. And that's a beautiful thing. And it's certainly something that we should think long and hard about on a day like Today, but have you also considered the statement that Jesus made immediately after he made the statement that explains how the gift of salvation is obtained? Jesus said when you look at John 3:17, he said, "For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him." I'll read it again. "For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved." through him. So, Jesus wasn't sent here to condemn us. That wasn't his mission in his incarnation. The action he took when he took on flesh was a rescue mission, not a, a, a mission of retribution. And he offered to save us because we already stood condemned. When you look at what Scripture tells us, it reveals that we already stood condemned. We were already under the cloud of condemnation. We were already guilty of sin, steeped in shamefulness, and distant from our Creator. When Jesus came to this earth, He came to take our condemnation upon Himself so that we would no longer remain under the wrath of God. Jesus said, when you look at verse 18, He says, Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. We experience liberty in its fullest sense, when we trust in Jesus Christ. So this is let's see this is year 26 that I've been serving as a pastor. And during that time I'm often in I've often been invited to spend time with people in some of their lowest moments and some of their most challenging circumstances. And oftentimes that has also involved visiting prisons or other detention centers to have conversations or to have prayer with those that have been condemned for various offenses. And I will admit, even though I I always say yes to those opportunities when they're given to me as as long as I can do so, um, those experiences have regularly caused conflicting emotions for me. And what I mean by that is this. Some of those experiences have actually left me feeling depressed. When you spend the bulk of your day in a context like that, sometimes it's impossible to not feel a bit depressed and maybe even a little bit guilty when you get to walk out of the detention center, or when you get to walk out of the prison, but the person you just spent a decent amount of time with remains inside. But here's, here's what's actually more depressing than that. Someone who chooses to stay in a, in a perpetual state of condemnation when they're convinced that there's no hope for them beyond their present circumstances. And then at the same time, this is why I say there's conflicting emotions, because also in that very same context, I I find I've had experiences that are very uplifting. Because you encounter those who once lived under that sense of condemnation, who now have been spiritually liberated through an encounter with Jesus Christ— who has forgiven, of their, forgiven them of their sin and set them free, and they're very conscious of that, even though their present-day circumstances don't always reflect that and what they get to see day to day. And so uh, when I think about things like that, I often think about the type of things that for you and for me, Might produce a sense of condemnation. And some of those things are major and some of those might be minor things. Actually, a couple nights ago, I actually heard my wife's voice calling out from the kitchen. And she said this, I think this is a direct quote. She said, Daniel, how many peppermint patties have you eaten? That's what I hear from the kitchen. And I'm like, my ears perk and I'm like, uh oh, he's toast. And for context, I should let you know that last week we were given a, a large box of peppermint patties as a Christmas gift from a friend, a friend of the family, gave us a lot of peppermint patties. They were there in the kitchen, right by the sink, and uh, that's what she asked. And my son confessed to, to my wife in that moment, and he said this, I think I eat one every time I walk through the kitchen. <laughs> that was his comment. I think I eat one, but as he, as he said that, uh, well, then she replied, she said, well, I think there's probably enough for you to walk through the kitchen one more time. That was her response. But I'm hearing this conversation. The conversation didn't directly involve me, but it did directly involve me and I started feeling a certain sense of condemnation that no one needed to know anything about because I had eaten many of those candies too and I'm hearing my son take the blame for the candies that I I'm like he's taking the blame and he's being a good soldier but I know how many I've eaten. Now he doesn't know and she doesn't know and I thought, well, Maybe I say nothing, you know, maybe I just sit here on this chair and I say nothing. But my conscience got the best of me and I said, I just called out from the family room, I said, I too am guilty. <laughs> I too am guilty. And we laughed about it because obviously the matter is inconsequential, you know, who cares who, who ate however many, you know, peppermint patties, but I mean, they were delicious. I, I guess those of us that were eating them, we cared, right? But but I can't help but wonder how many people live the bulk of their lives under a cloud of condemnation, you know, over, maybe over something minor, maybe something over major, simply because they, they hesitate to confess what's troubling their conscience. They forget Jesus came to save them because their mistaken belief, belief is that he would rather condemn them. Many people in this world think, I can't confess my sin, I can't repent of my sin, I feel so condemned. Christ's desire is to save us. His desire is to liberate us from condemnation. And the the ironic thing about that is that sadly many people in this world reject this offer, and Jesus explained why. They reject this offer because they prefer to embrace the darkness of this world. When you look at verse 19, Jesus said it this way. He says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. They loved darkness rather than light because their works were evil. Jesus, the light of God's holiness, came into the world. He came because he loves humanity, but does humanity love him? You know, what does mankind love? I mean, Jesus enunciated it here. According to Jesus, apart from the intervention of the Holy Spirit, we love darkness. Apart from the Holy Spirit opening up our eyes to see the truth, we actually, we don't just tolerate darkness, we don't just put up with darkness, we don't just accept darkness. Jesus directly said we love darkness. And apart from the Holy Spirit's intervention in your life and in my life, that's what we would continue to love. And our misplaced love is so destructive, and it's so counterintuitive, and yet that's the state we were in when Jesus came into this earth for us. He loved us, but we loved the dark. I was thinking about this maybe kind of a, with a, a strange analogy, but it kind of made sense in my mind when I was thinking about this this past week. In a, in a strange way, this dilemma reminds me a lot of a, of a girl that I went to high school with, and I could never understand. She was such a nice girl, and I could never understand why she would always date guys who treated her like garbage. And I would watch this happen over and over and over again, and as soon as one relationship would end, she would barely take a pause, and she would run after another one, only to be hurt and treated poorly again. And I remember at the time, her her behavior, it used to frustrate me, and it used to puzzle me, and I would watch it happen year after year after year as we grew up together, and in the end, it negatively impacted my view of her discernment. And then I look at the words of Jesus in this passage. And I realize that my behavior, and your behavior, and the behavior of us all, that it must have looked even worse to him than a young person chasing after failed relationships. And what I mean by that is this. The darkness is actively trying to snuff out our lives, and yet we keep chasing after it even though it hurts us. We keep chasing after it and showing it our affection. It hurts us, yet we love it. that weird? It's amazing to think that our discernment could be so faulty, but that was the state of humanity apart from Christ's intervention. So Christ was revealing in this portion of Scripture. And so now in view of the light of Christ that has come into this world, we're presented with a choice. We can continue to embrace the darkness, and we can continue living under, under condemnation that comes from that, or we can embrace the light, and have our condemnation completely removed. Jesus explained it this way when you look at verses 20 and 21. He says, "For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God." Now notice that that phrase that he's saying there, so that so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. There are two major ways to live our lives in this world. We either run from the light or or we run toward the light. Those are the options. Now, if we're running from the light, we're demonstrating what Jesus said. We're demonstrating that, that we are fearful of our motives and actions being exposed to the light, and so we run from the light because we don't want those things exposed. But if we're, if we're running toward the light, we're demonstrating that we're trusting in the work of Jesus, the work that he's done on our behalf, and we're relying on the power of God to carry out his work in our lives. So with Jesus having said that and explained that, have you ever considered the work that God specifically wants to do in your life? Regardless of whatever season of life you're at, if you're the youngest or oldest person in this room, have you ever considered the work that God still wants to do in your life? Jesus spoke uh, in this passage, he spoke of that opportunity for us to experience works that have been carried out in God. That's how he describes it here, works that have been carried out in God. Is that something that you'd like to see the Lord accomplish in your life? Works that really can only be attested to the fact that, that they're carried out in God. Are you interested in Him doing something amazing and maybe even unexpected through you? I, I've shared this uh, other times, at least part in part, but I grew up in a part of the state that I think many people that I knew didn't really seem to expect anything amazing to happen in their life or through their life. I remember being just kind of surrounded by that perspective as I grew up, the area that I grew up in. It's an area that seems to have the, basically like, if I had to describe it in a nutshell, it's like the cultural expectation that its best days are behind it. And that kind of mindset and that attitude would seep into the thinking of those who lived in the region, and it just becomes like a cultural ethic where everybody seems to be kind of down on the area, and then they become down on themselves, and it's, it's like you're living in an area that feels like its best days are behind it, and somehow that impacts your perspective. And I, wasn't, I, I wish that wasn't a, uh, a, a common perspective in the area, because I truly think the, the region I grew up in is lovely. I truly think the people that are there are lovely, but I've definitely noticed that pattern. I don't know that I necessarily noticed it when I was younger, but I definitely became someone who was aware of that as I grew older. And I have to say, I'm not exempt from wrestling with that perspective as well, and I certainly wasn't even when I lived in that context, but the Lord provided a few people in my life during my formative years who would often challenge me not to adopt that mindset. And I look back at that now and I think, I can see something preventative that the Lord was orchestrating in my life that impacted the way that I think. And uh, to those of you that help out with the children's ministry in the church, I hope you'll hear me when, when I say this. One of the most influential people on my mindset, and my spiritual upbringing, was one of my Sunday school teachers. And I probably bring her up once or twice a year because she had that kind of impact. She would teach us theology, she would teach us valuable things about Scripture, so don't ever minimize. You know, I know that sometimes the kids probably act a little nuts and a little crazy and and uh, things like that as you're trying to minister to them, those of you that that teach for Children's Church, but they are internalizing the things that you're saying, and they're also observing your example. And uh, I'll, I'll never forget my Sunday school teachers. I had several of them that were just fantastic, but one of them in particular, her name was Jean Constantine, and I just thought she was a lovely person. She was the same age as my grandmother, and she faithfully taught our class every single week, and it was funny. She had a A notebook that she wrote all her notes in she did not like things like you know science fiction or anything like that but she needed a notebook to make her notes and one of her sons gave her her son was an adult at the time and he gave her a star wars notebook and so all her theology notes were written down in a star wars notebook and she always hated that cover she'd look at it it's like Star Wars. But she had spent so much time, this is before the era of everybody owning a computer, and she's like, I'm not rewriting all these notes. Years and years and years she taught from that Star Wars notebook. I look at it now, and I think, I think we were intrinsically inclined to think that whatever was in that notebook was kind of cool. You know, She probably thought that cover was dumb, but for us as 10-year-old boys, we were like, you kidding me? It's in a Star Wars notebook. What do you got for us? And she would teach us, and she would encourage us, Again, she was the same age as my grandmother, and she would just go out of her way to teach our class every week and just be such an encouragement. I never wanted to be a disappointment to her. That's how I felt. I never wanted to disappoint Jean. But her words would often puzzle me. She would puzzle me because of what she would do because she saw me differently than I saw myself at that period of time. Uh, at, at, At some of the lowest seasons of my childhood, there was a pretty low season there for me. And I remember going through a stretch where... I just felt like a pretty heavy sense of discouragement and a pretty heavy sense of despair. And I don't even know that she knew all those details about my life. I just know that she would come up to me frequently, and I, I, she would often, every few months, she would just kind of pull me aside in our church sanctuary, and she would say essentially this very thing to me. She would, she would say, John, I don't know what God has planned for you. But I'm convinced that he's going to do something amazing through your life. Now picture yourself being a discouraged and depressed 10-year-old, 11-year-old, 12-year-old, hearing somebody that you know has shown you a lot of love and someone you don't want to disappoint, who would tell you that. And I used to think to myself, I was like, oh, she knew what I was really like, if she knew what my my day-to-day life was like, she probably wouldn't say those things. But apparently I'm putting on a good front here at church making myself look good in front of people here, good, I guess it's working. But she would tell me that, and I was like, what? And I used to, I would hear her say that, and I would be like, she obviously doesn't know me if she's saying these things. And she would tell me this regularly, and the truth is, she believed that long before I ever did. And I look back at it now, and I think, boy, what a, what a blessing to be reminded of that from time to time, when I didn't believe those things about myself. And then I look at John 3.21, and what Jesus says, and he makes the comment, but whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Now again, think about that statement for a moment. Do you actually believe that God wants to carry out an amazing work in your life? This is what Jesus is describing in this portion of Scripture, God carrying out an amazing work in the life of of those who trust him those who have come to the light you know are you willing to depend on the lord welcome his help listen to his leading do you think he cares about you enough in the midst of your day-to-day life to actually make a meaningful contribution in this world through you or do you think it's just other people you know, people that maybe you think have their act better together, or people that don't deal with emotional struggles, or people that have a, a more neat and tidy backstory, or family history, or, or life, or people that never made some of the mistakes that you make. You think it's just like you can only come to God with a slate that's already clean, and then he can use you? Or is it the exact opposite of that? In fact, Scripture says we were already condemned. That's the slate you and I came to the Lord with, a slate of condemnation that we deserved. And he looks at us and he says, you know, how about I wipe that clean for you? And how about I do an amazing work in and through your life? Do you think he's willing to do that? Of course he's willing to do it. He said it, right? I'm convinced he cares for us. Convinced based on what he said, based on what he did. Jesus said there are works carried out in the power of God that are done in and through the lives of those who trust in him. He said it, I believe it, and I've seen him do it. And I also believe this is true because of what Jesus did when he came to this earth to take on flesh. Why would he bother to go through such pain and shame and humiliation on behalf of humanity if he wasn't going to facilitate amazing things in us and through us as a result? Why would he bother to do any of that if he didn't have a glorious plan for the lives that he came to rescue and redeem. He didn't just come to this earth to be observed. He didn't just come to this earth to be spoken of. He came to this earth to redeem and transform. We were under condemnation, but through him we're set free. We were bound, and now through him we're liberated." And it's interesting because this world, and unfortunately, many professing believers fall into this category as, world, or as this world of missing the point of what Jesus actually came to do. Many people miss the point. It's the mistaken understanding of many people in this world that Jesus came to this earth to condemn, when he really came to this earth to save. He didn't need to come to this earth to condemn us, we were already condemned. We didn't need, he didn't need to come to do that. It had already happened. We were already under condemnation. That wasn't why he came. He came to this earth to save. He came to this earth to rescue. And I just want to encourage us on this Christmas day as we think about this to share that perspective and that understanding of his mission. And to just kind of think for a moment, And maybe even ask it this way of ourselves, are we ready to accept our part in his unfolding and ongoing efforts to save the lost? Are we willing to acknowledge and admit that he might do an amazing work in and through us, just as he described, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God? He wants that to be clearly seen in your life. That you're operating with the wisdom and the energy and the guidance that God has given you, of you, as you've trusted in Him, that God would do something amazing in your life, because Christ came to this earth to save you, not condemn you. Came to this earth to rescue you because you were under condemnation, and He took your condemnation upon Himself, so that you no longer need to remain condemned in in spiritual practice, but also in your perspective toward yourself. Not a wonderful gift. So we finish up this morning. I just want to reread verses 16 and 17 again. 16 because it's the essence of our faith and 17 because it's the continuation that, that reminds us of what Christ came to do. In John 3, 16 and 17, it says this. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Let's pray. Lord, thank You so much for the privilege that it is to be able to look at these portions of Your Word and to think about what they mean, to think about the things that Your Son, Jesus Christ, communicated to us. The fact that we were in need of salvation, the fact that we were under condemnation and he came to remove that condemnation from upon us. Father, we know that we are deserving recipients of your righteous wrath, but because of your great compassion, because of your desire to extend mercy to us, because of the fact that you are the perfection of mercy, you offer us hope through your son, Jesus Christ, Father, we're so grateful for the fact that we can stand before you right now as men and women who are no longer condemned. We once were, but you tell us in your word there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So Father, thank you for giving us the opportunity to trust in your Son. Thank you for uniting us to your Son and blessing us with the gift of his righteousness. And thank you for completely changing the perspective that we once shared related to these things. Lord, likewise, I thank you for the fact that you place people in our lives that remind us of your truth. I thank you for people like Jean and for the kind things that she said to me as a discouraged young boy. And I thank you for the fact that you used her life to point us to the, to the truth of your gospel. And Lord, I pray that for each of us, whatever season of life we happen to be at and however long we've, we've presently followed you, that we would understand the very things that you're speaking in the portion of Scripture that we just looked at together, that you want to do <coughs> amazing works in and through the lives of those who trust in you. So Lord, we pray that we would be men and women who trust in you completely, who rely on your wisdom, who seek your guidance, and who put you first in all areas of life. Thank you for the fact that we don't have to come to you with a clean slate. That doesn't even make sense to even think that we could. It would negate the whole purpose for which you came to this earth anyway. If we already had a clean slate, you didn't need to come. came to this earth because our slate was so filled with things that we didn't even have a consciousness of the fact we're offending you. We can list the big visible things, and we oftentimes skip the motives of our heart and the intentions of of our minds and our lives that that were being lived apart from the truth of your goodness. We don't even think about how those things are such an offense to your holiness and how we were living with that mindset and that lifestyle day in and day out. And yet you interjected yourself into our day-to-day reality and you've given us hope. So Lord, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for the fact that here on this Christmas day, we have the opportunity to rejoice over these things. Thank you for your love, and thank you for pointing our hearts back to you time and time again. We commit ourselves to you now, Lord, and we thank you for the work that you're accomplishing in us and through us for your glory. And we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.